Greetings. This is Amusely Aborigine. I'm hosting a discussion entitled The Independent Musician, Intellectual Property, and the Benevolent Nature of Creative Assets. This call is brought to you by Dialogue. Like discussion and debate, Dialogue lets you have your own call-in show over the internet. Today is um, August 2nd. What's up, y'all? Hey. Um, tomorrow's Friday. It's a thir uh, Thursday evening over here. I'm on the West Coast. And um, today I'm talking about, well, we are what I always talk about. It's, it's a thing as an independent musician. It stays on your mind. Um, how do you seize your creative assets? So I asked the question in the heading of this show, what percentage of 15 billion is yours? And you might wonder where I got that number from. I'll back it up a little bit and just recap. Um, earlier in the week, we were talking about uh, ISRC codes, and it's like a, a vital ingredient for the longest. Those four, those four letters just stayed in my my head: International Standard Recording Code, and it's the serial number for a piece of music. And everything's digital now, so just like when you scan something over the register. All of the devices that stream our music, you know, keeps all type of um, identifying information on both sides. What's going out, what's going in. And so music with that serial number encoded, it has the ability to be tracked in great detail. And uh, that's why the ISRC code is so important for the independent artist who may have small numbers to be aware of every single play in the digital world. And you can... You know, when like the first day a piece of music, an album that I released um, came out, I was able, and it's, this is an independent release, that's what we're talking about. I was able to look and see in Japan which song spiked and on what day. And that's so cool. I would never know without that type of information where one or two or three or five or 10 people in all these far regions may listen to a song. And, you know, top artists, they're not wondering about the numbers that you can count on your fingers. But as an independent, that's how you start. It's it's an um, encouraging sign that um, out of the billions of people on earth, there, you know, there are those that um, for whatever reason, and promotion is a great one, but sometimes even without that, you know, you may not promote in Japan like I wasn't, but so I started to think to myself, how did, um, how did they become aware of this music? And then I can sort of backtrack and consider the possibilities. So in this case of that small scenario, I thought to myself, well, iTunes has a new music page and they post the latest releases of that week or that day for a period of time. So if in that region, if that is likely what happened, it, you know, that can encourage that type of um, activity. Or, and so it's for me to consider, okay, is there any, what, how can I read into that data and, and use it to my benefit? So. A recap on the ISRC code, a little story on different ways in which it applies to the music. And to get back to the um, heading, I also mentioned, excuse me, I also mentioned that I would um, speak on some of my experience and the result that I've seen from interacting in this uh, realm as an independent. So um, I'll do that at the closing.
I um anybody that's tuning in, thank you for taking the time out. You know, you can feel free to um call in because I know a lot of people know a lot of different stuff about this. And at a certain point, it's not just making the music and singing a song, but there's um, a lot of aspects. There's administration, there's you know art and graphics. And of course there's, you know, there's fashion involved sometimes, a lot of different um, components that a lot of times the artists will develop. And lucky, lucky, or you're not even lucky, fortunate when you develop, you work hard, you can build a team, you can have insight on what's necessary. And they're experts and you're lucky if your friends and if your circle that can um, engage their skills and it's sort of, a, that's great when someone's, we're all contributing and we're all uh, being rewarded and it's what our gifts are. So that can happen in really cool uh, scenarios. The question that I um, I posted with this talk, because the the title is the same, and um, what what that is is the independent musician intellectual property and the benevolent nature of creative assets. I'm a writer and I love words, but I say that the creative assets have a benevolent nature, but it leads back to it's some um, it's property that spawns from the independent musician. So this thing could be to your great benefit. And when you give it to yourself, it, it can uh, generously give back to you. That's what I mean by benevolent. And the question I ask is what percentage of 15 billion is yours? You know, what's your cut of that? And I got that number. We know the record company is big, but recorded music sales totaled in the US total. 15.7 billion in 2016. And this is a range of different uh, revenue streams, including uh, downloads, uh, subscription services, performance rights. So that that's a big, uh, oh, excuse me. Oh, I'm. I, that's a, that's the global. That's the global fifteen billion dollars. But that's U.S. dollars. That's U.S. dollars. So it's fifteen billion U.S. dollars. And I'm looking at the ifpi.org website, and they keep global statistics on um, music sales and stuff like that. So that's a fifteen billion is a big chunk, right? So say. 1%, zero, um, 0 0.01%, you know, 0.001%. You're still talking about a million dollars, millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars. That's interesting because you think to yourself, how much of that is independent music? I'm going to get back to you on that because uh, numbers are cool. You know, they don't give the whole picture, but it's an interesting number. And you can bet the major labels. You know, that's they got the, the largest share of that in terms of like independent musicians themselves who found labels in support of their work, the cottage industry movement, and then of course the, the big conglomerates, where um in those cases they're gonna get the most out of a song. So, you know, if the record company has this asset that they own, then they're gonna put it in their films and you know, their television shows and a lot, uh, they find ways across 
their um, their portfolio of media offerings to you know promote it, to sell it, and give it um, play. Not just exposure. That's a big thing that we it can have value. The exposure that promotes and makes people aware at the same time can give your product value because these outlets are monitored. I'm going to go backtrack to um, the asset that we're dealing with and the different rights that are attached to a song. So let's start from zero and we're going to say that the artist makes the song. It's like you, you give birth, you give wind, you give life to something. And every asset that will be commoditized and that will um, can be sold or traded and given value, it all begins with that song. So the first thing is the, the copyright. There is a thing called the Li Library of Congress and they catalog this stuff in order to give this copyright that's formed when you make this song they give it a bit of protection. They say, okay, well, you have this copyright because you made this thing. It's your right to copy it. Somebody else that copies this thing, it's not their right. So the um, copyright through the Library of Congress, they'll say, well, I'll give you a registration number. I'll keep this thing in my library. And if you ever have any issues with your copyright, I'm going to protect you. So that's one um, way that it becomes commoditized because this copyright not only is protected by law, but it's an asset at this point. It begins to become an asset. And with copyright law, one of the very basic rules of how um, we'll go back into free trade and, and, civ and a civilization that evolves so that people who create can be um, pretty receive answer from that. This, this copyright thing is protected, whatever it is, a song or a poem, there's a statutory law that says any person other than yourself, and there's circumstances where you may owe that to yourself. And we can talk about that too, because we're not just a business starting out as ourself. You, you create something that has business value. You can, of course, create a business. So there's a five cent statutory rate for every copy that's ever made. So, hey, you know, you, we friends, you got a very small record company and I give you my song, you put out a mixtape and I know you sold a hundred copies cause you made a hundred and there's no more. Well, for every five cents for that one song that I had on the whole album, you know, I, I think you might owe me $5, you know, maybe you made a hundred dollars or maybe you made a thousand dollars, but my, you know, the hundred of those, you owe me five cents each. And I think, can you give me my $5? So that's statutory, the rate of, uh, I want to say compulsory or statutory, but don't bind me to the term that refers to your right to any copy being made that that's copyright. Um, that's the law for the statutory rate. For a copyright of, uh, whether it's a book or a song, so secondarily, this the other part of this right that we're looking at is um, I'm backtracking because <laughs> we're talking about the money that is transferring off of these rights. So that's five cents right there. Imagine you, you know, press up a million and sell those. So that's very basic. 
there's another component to a song that's built in when it's born. And those who have heard me speak on this, feel free to interject and guide me along. But this is, um, I want to be clear about the publishing and the writers and that those two being uh, assets of the song. So every time it's played, then it's paid through that way also. And the rate, uh, it may change a bit, but um, that's attached to the song also. Every time it plays the and radio, for instance, a performer may have a royalty for um, live playing performance, but not radio. That a performer will get paid from sales, but not radio. That's designated for writers and publishers. And the writer can be the performer of their music also. So. Sometimes record companies, you know, they just put it all in it. I don't, I don't know. I've never had a big record deal. I've um, only worked with some buddies that are pretty strong and independent, and I've I've seen how that how that goes. Um, I've released music. I have a, and fortunately, through some of my friends on the underground, it's like stuff on wax, and you know, some really cool stuff out there. And that's why it's like it's a, it's a promising business to know that people love good music and when you make it available that you know there's an intermediate point in when so businesses are based off of that the people that press the records which is included in this billion dollar industry i'm sure the people who uh, and I, I say people but i mean companies and the thing about a person a company in the and the way we look at a person now it's um it, a company or a corporation can't have the designation of a person and a person in certain ways should look at themselves like that too, especially when you're um, forging on a path of making your music available and protecting it. That's the for foremost thing, making it available. I thought another thing was interesting that I hear in the news today. This is like a breaking story. Um, the record labels are getting together. They're joining forces. You have um, Sony, Universal, Warner Brothers. There may be a few. I, I hear there are others included, but I, I don't see a list of who that the whole entire list of the, the big labels. But they're suing the internet provider, Cox Communications. A lot of people have Cox Cable. And there's a, a piracy lawsuit. And it's so interesting. They've actually published ISP addresses of individuals' computers that have been seen over a period of like a year or two years and longer. I think, you know, like there's a 500 or 600 day span when one particular ISP had received maybe 100 notices for downloading um, pirated content. And so there was a lot of talk about net neutrality. And ISPs are now being held liable by content owners for their part in facilitating illegal trade, if you will, of copyrighted material. And so 
I, I think for every, um, for every work, and there's like 10,000 musical works where they can see, oh, well, this person downloaded it and they didn't actually buy it because of the ISRC code and other metadata on the music. I, I you know, I'm, I'm sure that is, I, I couldn't figure out off the tip of my tongue how they can truly figure out where you get this music from. But then again, it could be a site that's monitored that is known. And for whatever reason, the site can't be targeted, but that data is tracked by the um, person who, you know, the company that facilitates and the end receiver, maybe. I'm uncertain on how that really pans out, but I just, I find it really interesting that these labels that are in so much competition with each other are um, working together to stop the free flow of music because they're losing so much money. It's a billion dollar industry, but things are changing. Album physical sales are decreasing. I wanna do a little research before I give some more quotes, but I recently heard, I won't say the name cause I'm not quite sure that I just only heard, but there's like a top artist out now that, you know, platinum um, selling single artist, but the entire, the entire album itself for this million selling artist was downloaded like something like 15,000 times. And I thought, wow, what a change from how things were. So I'm gonna confirm that. It would have it would have been nice to have a few questions to go bounce back and forth. And so I'm gonna keep this discussion short when we think about the percentage of 15 billion and how there's a landscape of so many artists and the lion's share maybe said it would appear. 70 to 80% it are backed by companies who have a large roster of various artists. And it's, you know, it's a whole operation as opposed uh, with many people working on many different artists as opposed to like one or a smaller labels who uh, like the cottage industry versus the, the mass market machine. Now about me, um, I'm releasing, I'm in the process of releasing archives right now. And this is a time where I can um, use years of music that I've recorded in, in different studios. And I thought, wow, this is really great stuff. When I, now this, it takes the musician's mind to know what this is like to make songs and play them out, play them with pe four people. And you think to yourself, well, one day I'm gonna get into the studio. And I'm gonna share this music with people. And then, so I figured out that the way to do that is to just do that, um, record it and make it available to people. So I've recently, my label that I founded with, you know, encoding and owning the master semi music because I've recorded it and it's my equipment and stuff like that. Um, encoding it and then making it available, mastering it and encoding it and, um, getting distribution through some of these great companies that are out there. There's a whole spectrum of it, of them, and they have different features. Maybe it will be great to compare because I know people use different distributors. The music that you can buy from a lot of these small labels, um, 
they, you know, they choose what, what works best for them and they have different reasons why. So I interestingly chose two companies to try them out. I thought, okay, I'm doing this. I'm going to go with this distri distribution company for this project. And I've, I've worked with them in the past. And then um, I'm going to try something different and see how I like this company. So that's what I'm doing. And what's interesting with the, like Spotify, for instance, is a cool internet radio station where you can stream music on demand. And Pandora is really cool like that too, up to a point. Spotify seems to, you know, keep, keep it coming when you choose or if you want to repeat and stuff like that. And they have some, Pandora has a subscription service, which I'm sure uh, that may um, give music buyers a lot more uh, liberty with going through their catalog or, you know, through their offering and stuff like that. Spotify has great analytics. You can go into the back end and find out where your people are listening and promotion helps. So I'm in the promotion, understanding promotion as art. I would think it's so contrived, you know, to uh, make great effort to share something. And it's no better than someone else doing it for you. I think artists can always best represent themselves, having that confidence to do it. I was nervous to get on the, to do the program today because I'm sharing with the, I get nervous about stuff I'm excited about. And that feeling is, it drives me to say, oh, what's next? This is what I should be doing because it's thrilling. Um, today, I'm also, I have a list here. I'll just read, I'm, I have envelopes. I have a, a stack of up and I'm not finished. I just want to finish later. And I'm sharing my music with college radio. That's something to check out because you can go to your local radio college website on the contact page and figure out what they, they ask for new music. They say, Hey, we love new music. 99% of the time they're saying, come on, please send us your stuff. We love it. We want to hear it. And they'll tell you the process of the, um, how to do that, how they prefer to receive it and who to send it to the address and stuff like that. So I have a list uh, and I saw like, what is it? CSU Monterey, KXLU, KSSU. I'll give you guys an address, right? If anybody wants to call KUCI in Irvine, K, that's 89.9, that's in California. This is all California radio. You can contact your music director, PO Box 4362 in Irvine, California, 92616. That's so random. But that's what it's like, having big envelopes, throwing a one sheet in there with a, a letter that explains your purpose and getting it out to people who are open and receptive to play this music. So that's a part of, you know, that whole independent musician thing to share the music and make it available. And then with it, with it being um, commoditized in a way, there are those outlets that automatically, um, it's on automation, you know, they, you're, you're registered, your song's encoded. So when the song plays, they know what owner to which right to direct funds. So it's, especially with radio, if you're making your own copies, I think you're gonna be responsible for paying that, uh, your copyright, you know, statutory rate for uh, reproduction. But when it comes to the product, um, playing on radio and things like that, it's really interesting to see um, those percentages of cents add up. And then also to consider, I may have lower numbers, but I'm doing it, I'm seeing it, I'm responsible, I know what's going on. That's worth a lot. All right, y'all. Thank you for tuning in. I really appreciate it.
hit me up next time, you know, leave a comment or something. I'm free flowing at this point, but I just want to share with everyone who wants to know this stuff. I personally believe that it should be an open book. Um, the Open Music Initiative, speaking of open, the Open Music Initiative is working to get deep into the metadata so that all the um, the engineers, the studios, you know, what city, what year, all of the things that you want to preserve because there are rights attached to a lot of this stuff. And also um, the cross referencing that, ca that can be done is amazing. Every song has a full story that is, You'd be surprised. It's more than the title and the lyrics and the length of the song and the uh, contributors, you know, like some studio, You, it, the deeper you get into that music, you want to know why does it sound like that? What is it about the sound that I like? Or um, there's so many textures and layers that the metadata can help give insight into other than this, that, that the surface thing that's so deep that the, a song making us feel. I am a Miyasui Aborigine. And oh, I, I was gonna sign off, but I also wanna say, um, I was in San Diego yesterday, a brethren of mine is traveling and I hadn't seen him in a while and he's been all over the world a few times. And I was so, oh, hey, I got a caller that wants to be on the air. Are you there? I hope I didn't catch that too late. Um, I, this, there's a lot of bright sun. The sun is going to be setting soon. So there's a glare on my screen and like the white background. I didn't notice. I don't know if you're there for a long time. So I was in San Diego and I went to Phil Lit Records on E Street in downtown San Diego. The area is, is very bohemian. It's, uh, I don't know if it is the Gaslight District or near, they have a gas lamp, excuse me. <laughs> no one wants to be gaslighted, right? Um, it was the gas lamp district. Um, and there's so much going on down there. A lot of cool heads. I saw a lot of Ross Meta bridging on the street justice with his daughter. He's like, I play the bass, just music all over the place up there. But so I go to feel it. And there's like these young German kids with the Lakers jerseys here from Germany on a California tour. Like we want to know where the record stars are. We're um, going to LA. We're on our way to first San Francisco. You know, they're asking about the low end theory. This like obscure club that, well, maybe in Germany, I would think, but they've been hearing about stuff that's going on in there and feel it, stocking up on records, very interested in the hip hop scene. They're asking me like, do you, um, do you sample? You know, like, I'm like, yeah, you guys checking our records, you're making beats. That's my first was interest. Like, wow, like these young guys, um, here you're getting these records. So, so you're gonna be sampling, right? Are you listening for pleasure? And they're sampling like, well, I said, yeah, well, I make beats too. And they go, well, do you sample? I'm like, no, I don't sample. In my motif, I, every beat, I make it scratch. And he goes, well, how can you do hip hop, you know, and not sample? And I go, well, I had an answer for him. I think I'll share with you guys. But the real point was that, um, and my, my answer was that I like the feel and sound of the instruments coming together, like they're being played, you know, I that. So I, I don't know if I answered him well. But um, this record store just had a bunch of cool stuff going on. Uh, international visitors, I was there um, with my hip hop and just the, the owner of the place, Mark, is like an encyclopedia. And I had like, a, my friend was an encyclopedia too, Orko. 
And so these two encyclopedias were just like bouncing back off each other with like, you know, oh, what about this song that this guy did on this album? But you know, the sample comes from this album and they're like demonstrating this stuff with the original product. And I really enjoy being there. And the store bought some of my music to stock and I thought that was really great. So I, uh, there's a live location and it's, it's stuff like that. And actually I stopped at another store and the guy goes, well, hey, you got your vinyl, come on in. You know, but this is, you know, our style is mostly rock and this, that and the other. And I go, well, hey, check it out. Here's a, a sample for you, a one sheet. So, you know, you may hear this music and reconsider it. I got some vinyl, I may come back. But that was a little bit of the groundwork that you know the independent musician does do, and it's fun too. And every that's every drop counts because. Um, and then there was like another girl. I'm like, I start with her headphones, and we're just like passing, you know, on the street because when you're in the city, you have to walk around, and you you must. Um, and she goes, I'm listening to video game music. I like instrumental stuff. I'm like, oh, wait a minute, bam, I give her a download card for my instrumental album, AEI, so she could like listen to that type of stuff. And we got to talking, found out she plays music, bass and uh, guitar and flute and different things. And um, that's the spirit of the independent musician. It, uh, it's it's uh, so beautiful, it's so beautiful. Yeah, so big up to feel lit. It was, it's a confirmation when you're in a place that loves hip hop and they're giving your sound a, a place to grow like a seed. And that'll happen. That'll happen when you share it. It's, and it's not contrived, it's just a pure love, you know, which we have, us as artists, some of us, we have, we're so deeply feeling when we create. It's like, can you, can you believe being chatty and sharing, chatting up your music and putting a picture of your own self somewhere for other people to look at? Like it could be out of character for a musician, but it doesn't matter because people who like the music, it's a gift to them. So getting over that is a process for me, for those musicians to um, love it and do it, do it with love and you, you get that back. So I am very glad that I had the opportunity to talk about this, this subject and share. Next time, you know, you guys want to pitch in something to say or ask a question or just say like, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm listening, but I'm going to sit in with you. You can do that too. You can do that too. That'll be great. So I'm Amis, we Aborigine. Um, I'm representing for BD Beats Music, you know, the label. And it's... It's me, but then again, I get to a point to where it is itself. And I don't want to overshadow the work with um, the identity of myself because the work is hard and stands alone. Um, aside from everything that goes into it and that um, can ultimately come out of it. So um, this call is brought to you by Dialogue. You like discussion and debate? I hope so. Uh, dialogue lets you have your own call and show over the internet. I'm Amia Sui. Uh, thank you for taking the time, sharing with me. And until we meet again, bless.